Hi, this is Ernest Mast, and I'm president and CEO of Dory Copper Mining Corp. We're redeveloping a copper gold camp in Chibougamau, Quebec, which is 500 kilometers north of Montreal. We've got high-grade copper, high-grade gold deposits, and uh, we're looking to revitalize that mining camp, which was a very productive camp over a period of 50 years. Ernie, good to have you on the show. We've not met or spoken before, in fact, we, but we will be uh, seeing each other on the um, a, a copper panel in a few months' time. But look, um, given I haven't heard the story before, what I'd like to do is just sort of go back a bit, start with the business plan and the strategy for delivering said business plan. So maybe take me back to the beginning. What did you guys set out to try and do? So we got involved in this story in 2017 as a private company where we saw this past producing mining camp, which was essentially dormant. And we saw a number of underground mines that had previously been in production with good grades. Uh, obviously a great jurisdiction being Quebec. And we thought we could uh, expand out the resources because there wasn't a lot of exploration done in the camp over the last uh, number of years of operations where the operations stopped in 2008, uh, coincident with the financial crisis uh, at that time. And so uh, we were very successful in our drill program. We went public in December, 2019, and we've continued to drill since then. And we've been very successful in building out the resources at a number of the deposits. So the business plan right now is to take those resources, uh, work with a PEA that's due for the end of Q1, 2022. And then upon finishing that PEA, uh, we would transition into a feasibility study and after the end of the feasibility study at some time in 2023 we'd look to raise the funds and, and get back into production trying to catch uh this really robust copper market yeah yeah i mean the the, the time is good as far as, as far as the copper uh price is concerned the equity is not necessarily following suit at the moment so um okay pa coming out uh then well Q1 at some point. Um, what do you think that needs to say to the market? Because if I if I look at the market now, it's not interested in your story. What will get them interested? I, I think what will definitely get people interested is uh, the positive nature of the PA showing that the combination of the jurisdiction, uh, low energy costs, uh, a very green type of project high grades, underground mining, long mine life, we're looking at plus 10 years just to get started. And then people must realize the optionality we have where we're starting principally with the Corner Bay deposit, but then there's a number of other deposits in the district. For instance, we own uh, 13 deposits or past producing mines and, and not all of them have had, uh, I would say complete exploration done. So there's lots of potential still. So the market will realize we have a, uh, a viable kind of base project, and then on top of that, lots of optionality. Okay, so what can we expect to see? Because you know, you've heard some high grade results, which is fantastic, very attractive. It catches the eye for sure. What people don't necessarily understand is, I guess, in terms of the the, the scale and the economics, whether this thing will stand on its own two feet. Because you're going early with that which presumably we hope will fund the exploration program on these 13 other assets and beyond, right? Well, the, the, the PA will really support us in terms of doing the infill drilling in order to get through the feasibility study. Uh, we'll be doing some of that other exploration going forward, but we really have too many exploration alternatives. So we'll pick a couple of them, work on them while we work on the principal project. And so what, uh, getting back to your question, what's going to catch people's eyes is 
when you think of it, if you're mining 3% copper, you have uh, 66 pounds of copper per ton of, of material. Uh, we'll just say at $4, uh, $4 a pound, you have over $250 uh, of value of copper in the ground and uh, per ton. And your mining costs is say gonna be half of that. And so we're gonna have a high margin coming out of the gate. Then if we're producing say 40 million pounds a year, uh, then you can do the math and realize this is going to cash flow much more than the current market cap of the company. Obviously we have to build the project and there's capital involved and I don't have those numbers right now as we're working through the PA, but we can see that this is going to be a profitable operation. In addition, there's the gold byproduct credit at that Corner Bay property. Uh, and then we have other properties which are high-grade gold, which are going to come into the mine plan at a later date. Right. Okay. So back of a back of a fact packet calculations, you, you feel that this thing, the economics are there to support this. Um, I need to, I need to believe that you, you've got the track record to be able to you know back that up. So uh, tell me a little bit about you. you I, I saw you obviously. Um, Primero um, and Minera Panama, but what, what were you doing there? What was your roles? What were the roles there? So uh, I started my career as a metallurgical engineer and uh, have worked uh, 20 years with a company called Naranda. And with Naranda, I worked at different, mainly metallurgical facilities, but also some mines. And I began running operations, large operations uh, around the mid 2000s running the Falcondo operation in the Dominican Republic, uh, where we had 1800 employees and was a very large nickel producer. Uh, and then moving into more, I'd say executive roles. And uh, you mentioned the role at Minera Panama, I was president and CEO of the Panamanian entity. And we took that project uh, through uh, first stages of engineering, explore, some exploration, uh, but the critical thing was social license and permitting, which uh, we obtained under my watch. And then a little bit afterwards, as we know, First Quantum acquired the project from uh, InMet Mining. Uh, and then with Primero, I was president and CEO of the company. Uh, we had mine in Mexico and a mine in uh, Ontario, underground mining, narrow vein, so technically similar to the mature, the stuff that we're doing now. Right, okay. And um, just who are the other kind of... Uh, who are the other active members of the team? Because there's a lot of names in the in the PowerPoint. Few are recognised as you know as good guys, but who's actually doing the yeah. heavy lifting? So, yeah. So a lot of the heavy lifting is being done by our project director Steve Samard. Uh, he's a Quebecer, and uh, he has had I'd say a 20, 30 year career uh, working in the mining industry throughout Quebec and West Africa. Uh, a lot of experience with. Uh, underground mining, narrow vein mining. So very, very helpful. Uh, we have Jean Tanguay, who's the general manager, has worked all his career in Shibugamu and was previously one of the operations managers for the current site. Uh, we just hired a VP exploration, Mr. Sylvain Lepin. Uh, he has actually spent most of his career in this, uh, I'd say the Eastern part of the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, which is geologically where we're located. Uh, Andre Rinta's exploration manager. Uh, Andre has a lot of experience, again, working with uh, kind of vein type environments, having spent eight years at Kupel with Kinross. And so the cold here is really nothing for him. Uh, Lori Gabri is our VP Investor Relations, very experienced. Uh, Gavin Nelson, our CFO, very experienced as well, uh, working for a service company. And, and our chairman, Mario Stefano, is one of the founders of the company, along with myself. 
And Mario has lots of experience as a finance person working in the, uh, you know, in, in underground mining environments in Canada. Right. And you guys raised 25 million bucks last year, says there, 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 there about. How much have you raised in total since, well, e either from December 2019 when you went public or, or, or before? Yeah, I'd say about 35 million total has been raised uh, by the company. Uh, we had a uh, larger raise last year coinciding with the high copper prices that we saw in the market. Uh, definitely there was appetite to support a story like that, like us. And, and I really believe we delivered uh, in terms of using the funds to expand out the deposits. The Since we acquired the assets, the Corner Bay deposit uh, has expanded from 1.5 million tons to 7.2 million tons. And uh, we definitely have more tonnage coming through. It's, it's you slightly dismayed by the, 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 the kind of lack of interest to this point, because you, if you put in like 35 million bucks, you what's your market cap, 40, 45 million bucks today. Um, how, do you, how does it affect your thinking about the, the, how you move this thing forward? Because you're going to presumably raise some more money soon, are you? I mean, well, tell me about that. Are, are you, do you need to raise any money anytime soon? Yeah, we'll need to raise some money this over the course of the year, probably for some additional drilling. Uh, but we don't have to raise a lot because we still have about $12 million in, you know, in Treasury. And so we're not, uh, yeah, we're, we're not in a rush to raise money. We have funds to execute for the next uh, half year easily. And, and really over that next half year, one of the key elements is to do the infill drilling, release the PEA, and that should give the market a lot of additional news in terms of hopefully starting to do the re-rate process. Right. So the so you you funded to deliver the the, the PEA. The, so this is this infill drilling going to feed into the PEA or or an updated resource? No. This yeah. This infill drilling will actually fill into the feasibility study that's going to be done during 2023. So we've really completed our PEA drilling already, and we've started now to do the infill drilling for the feasibility study. Um, the PEA. For inferred, as you know, we can use inferred resources in a PEA and our drill spacing is 120 meters. Uh, and so for the indicated categorization, we need 60 meter drill spacing. So uh, certain parts of the deposits are already indicated, but other ones need to be infilled to 60 meters. What's the current resource size, sorry? 7.2 million tons at 3% copper. Right, okay. That's interesting. And you're going you're gonna to skip the pre-fees phase and go straight to feasibility study. Why is that? I, I would say because it's a restart. So a lot of the uh, parameters that one tries to define during a pre-fees are already done. So, you know, we know where the ramp, the portal is, for instance. Uh, the mill's already built. The tailing's already there. So... There's really we can jump into into get into more detail. Also, there's a there's a time and cost uh, element as well. Uh, each time you do update a study, it's you know it's another couple of million dollars maybe uh, that that's getting spent. Yeah, I I, I, I kind of don't mind about that um, as long as it gives me certainty. But you're saying because of the it's it's a it's a redevelopment story. And there's a lot of data there that you can do. So you're not you're not cutting corners just to cut costs. You're cutting corners because the data's there to support it, right? Correct. And it's and many of the decisions have been made. Right. So you know, a lot of times you spend a lot of time. Okay, how am I going to configure the mill? Where am I going to put it? Where am I going to put the tailings facility? Those those things are already done. Right. And so and what have you inherited actually with this? Because obviously the 
there's, there's quite a bit that's come with this project. Yeah, so we inherited uh, the Corner Bay deposit, which in 2008 uh, had two kilometers of underground development. A 36,000 ton bulk sample was taken and uh, processed through the mill. So the recoveries uh, were established. Uh, there's already road access to that deposit. Uh, we inherited the Devlin deposit, which in the early 1980s had a ramp uh, go down and take development ore. We inherited a number of underground, other underground deposits uh, with shafts in place. Now, some of those deposits we've done some drilling, other ones we haven't, but that gives us optionality for the future. We inherited a mill. Uh, we inherited uh, an office complex. I'm currently at the old mine office in Shibugumu right now. And we also inherited a tailings facility. Uh, and so um, a good road network, an electrical network, you know, these are things that are already there. So we can look at this project as a brownfield project uh, in many ways. Right. And, and how do you go about, because uh, you've got to reinvest in those things, right? You know, the mill's been around. A lot of the infrastructure has been around for a while, not touched for a while. You're going to have to, you know, up upgrade all of that. But you've got to get the timing right. So you're not going to get ahead of yourself until the feasibility study is out, clearly. So that tells us 2023. When in 2023 are you aiming for? Uh, let's, let's aim for the middle of the year. Middle of the year. Okay. Um, yeah. And then you can start, again, would you... Would you be doing that to a standard where you can accelerate into uh, conversations around financing off the back of that? Or does there need to be a definitive feasibility study? Uh, our intention is to start the financing questions upon finishing the feasibility. It's potentially that some of the financing companies will want some additional information in a certain area, and we can do a separate study for that. Maybe not a full-on bankable feasibility study or a definitive, but maybe there's some gaps to be filled. Uh, we do have uh, some interesting financing alternatives for us when we get to that point. So the province of Quebec is very supportive of uh, development projects like ourselves. And so one of the things which is um, being discussed and, and will be discussed in more detail is some debt financing at very competitive rates of our project when the time comes to get into production. Yeah, we, we've, we've actually done it. We did a whole show on uh, the, 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 I think, slight unfair advantage that Quebec companies have, uh, mining companies have in terms of rent financing costs, et cetera, because of the support that you get from the province. Um, fantastic. And, and in terms of the data that you inherited, is that feeding into the studies that you're doing as well? Oh, definitely. Definitely. We inherited uh, a you know, very large database of, of geological drilling operating information. And, and that's all feeding into the studies that we're doing. Okay, uh, fantastic. And, and you, you mentioned um, the infill drilling that, that's coming up. And just again, simple terms for people perhaps new, new to the game is uh, you know, how, many, how many meters, how deep? Uh, and again, you know, what, what would you be looking to get out of that program and how much will you be spending? So we're looking to drill around 40,000 meters and uh, that's gonna cost about $6 million Canadian. So our average drill cost is about 150 Canadian per meter, uh, very reasonable. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is our drilling contractor is local and, and they're very well established in the community and we're able to do so without having to support a very large camp, fly in, fly out. It's, it's a very, I'd say a very clean operation. Uh, the 40,000 meters, the average depth is about, um, of the holes will be about 800 meters. 
So there's some of the deposits quite deep, and so there's going to be some deeper holes. Uh, the, the shallow part of the deposit, most of it is already at the indicated level. So we're going to have not as do much drilling in the upper part of the ore body. Uh, but we will, uh, so, so those are the totals. Okay, that, that's interesting. And um, you mentioned sort of 10-year life of mine. Um, one presumes that with you know f future drilling and future exploration, um, you, would, you would obviously look to extend that. So you know, again, that's probably a, a conversation that's well, well trodden in the market. So I mean, I want to talk to you about some of these 13 other assets. You may pick one, two, or three of these to focus in on. Do you, have you made those decisions yet? So which yes, yes. Promising? yes, we have. So we, we actually, so when we talk about the mine life, it's like 13 years and then the deposit, the main deposit corner bay is open down dip. So we're, we're pretty well guaranteed more than 15 years mine life. Uh, there's another deposit called Devlin, which is a smaller deposit. And we're looking to, uh, would look to start that deposit at the same time as corner bay because they're located uh, within 10 kilometers of each other. So they're, they're quite close or within five kilometers of each other, sorry. So they're quite close. And uh, those de that deposit is another copper deposit with a small gold credit. It's a shallow deposit, contains about uh, 1.2 million tons at 2% copper and uh, becomes a very nice complementary deposit. It doesn't need a lot of more drilling. It's uh, already drilled. Quite a big portion is already drilled to indicate it. And if we do have to do more drilling, the holes are only about 100 meters deep. Uh, another deposit is a Joe Mann deposit. This is a deposit that we have currently optioned. It's a past producing gold mine, produced 1.2 million ounces of gold at 8.26 grams per ton gold, stopped in 2007. Uh, that deposit has 133,000 ounces at 6.8 grams per ton. But um, we're pretty confident that only a small part has been drilled and by drilling it off, uh, we should be able to get to 400,000 ounces of gold there. And that becomes a really nice complementary deposit for, to Corner Bay, where Corner Bay would be producing, say, 40 million pounds per year of copper, and Joe Man could be producing 20,000, 30,000 ounces a year of gold. Uh, so that's another deposit. Uh, another deposit we have is Cedar Bay. It has a resource of 360,000 tons at 8.7 grams gold. 1.92% copper. Uh, it's located, uh, the deposit is located beneath the current, um, uh, the current workings of a mine which closed in 1991. Uh, we'll have to get back and drill that one at a later date. And then uh, there's a deposit called Copper Rand, which was the last mine operating in the camp. It produced 14.9 uh, million tons over its life at a grade a little under 2% copper and under three grams gold. Uh, the deposit is still open at depth, but again, it's quite deep. It's at 1,500 meters, so we're going to look at that one later on. But again, it gives us tremendous optionality as we go forward. The key is let's get the business restarted with Corner Bay in a very good copper price environment. And then uh, we have Joe Mann and, and Devlin with enough resources to contemplate startup. And some of these other things will come into play later on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you kind of piece, piecing this thing together, and I guess, I guess like investors will be to try and understand, um, you know, how those synergies will work work into the future. But but so potentially will 
strategic partners because I say the copper price is doing exceedingly well, massive disconnect with the equities, um, I think last year and, 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 and still. Um, so I'm looking, I'm kind of looking as an investor to sort of see what you're going to deliver, not just 2022, but 2023 and, and, and into production, which may attract some of the, the bigger players here. Do you think you could piece together enough scale? And with the economics to to come with it to be attractive, or is this something that you just get into production yourself with, and it and it's and it throws off cash, and that that's what we're buying into. Most probable, this becomes something that, uh, from a base metal copper point of view, most likely it becomes something that we get into production and throws off cash. There currently isn't a huge amount of let's call small cap copper miners that would really look at an opportunity like ourselves. However we become a really interesting uh, fit for a gold company in that we have a kind of base gold production with a big copper byproduct. And traditionally the lowest cost gold producers are those that actually have a couple of copper mines in the mix uh, that they use the byproduct credit to decrease their gold price. So we could become attractive on a couple of different levels. Yeah, that, 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 I think I agree with that. And be interesting again, see what you need to do to attract those sorts of those sorts of conversations in terms of output scale, et cetera, you know, production yeah. levels, once you start piecing these things together. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely have to, you know, refocus some of the exploration uh, dollars and effort on some of the gold properties we have. But with the run in the copper market, we've really decided that what makes the most sense for us right now is really focus on the copper assets getting back, getting into production, uh, as opposed to trying to brand ourselves as a gold exploration play, which we kind of contemplated at one point in 2000 when the gold price had its run over $2,000 an ounce. It's interesting because we, we always talk about the difference in strategy between you know, Australia and, and North America or Canada, where you know, Canadians usually, well, let's you know, drill, they drill to the edge of the envelope and see how big this thing gets. Whereas the Aussies like to get into production, get cash flowing a little bit sooner uh, because that you know, reduces dilution and uh, quite frankly is is uh, quite a good sign, signal to the market that they've got it right, right? Um, yeah. you, you, you've gone with the Aussie model effectively here. Is that because it's a, a redevelopment story, a restart story rather than um, a pure play exploration? Yeah, I believe that definitely had something to do with it. Also, you know, we see the, the strong copper prices in the market and we said it's a great time to build a copper mine. Uh, at this time and, and, and the projections for how long this strong copper market is going to last vary between, you know, two, three years to it's something longer now where the copper price is resetting. We saw the copper price reset in 2003 and four, you know, during the first part of my career, uh, whenever copper made it over a dollar, we were all very excited. And then it went back down to 70 cents, 80 cents. And our long term projections were a dollar or 90 cents. And some of the uh, some of the people who would look at the projects would go, you always had a hockey stick where, you know, price is going down and magically you have it go up. But then what happened in 2003 and or 2004 and five, when copper reset suddenly now at $3 or $2.50, uh, you know, that, that kind of turned the market on its head in terms of what can we expect from a copper price going forward. And maybe we're in a similar transition now where copper is resetting around $4 from say between $250 and $3. And so it'd be great to get something into production at the beginning of that run. And so we can see it. 
But I've seen a lot of copper companies of a similar size to in terms of market cap. Um, obviously, their expiration plays. Um, you know, he, he obviously don't, don't have that choice to, to make, um, but, but equally sort of struggling. And it's, it's, it's kind of, I, I, I don't really understand the, the reticence for investors not to be investing in copper, um, given what the copper price is doing, given talks of these huge infrastructure projects in Asia, Europe and the US. And, and clearly the battery thematic is, is a big part of that conversation too. So um, do, you, do you expect there to be, or is it because copper traditionally is seen as these are big projects, these are billion dollar plus projects, those are the ones which succeed, the rest tend to fall by the wayside? I, I would say, you know, definitely the, you know, enormous large copper projects, once they get into operation, are cash flow machines. Uh, and, and the market tends to focus on that, but th there's probably an opportunity for a more agile investor to get involved in some of these smaller copper projects that are going to be really profitable. Uh, they obviously need to be de-risked to a certain extent before the investor jumps in, which makes a lot of sense. But we haven't seen many kind of small copper projects come into play lately. And I think that's one of the other reasons where the investor can't say, uh, the investor can't point to a lot of examples where a smaller company got into production and was successful because there just haven't been many and even smaller high grade, that's been even rare. So there's another, a number of companies and peers of our company that are currently at the same stage. Some of, uh, you know, we're all at different, uh, I guess, different positions on our, on our journey, but, uh, these companies have a, a possible, they have a good probability getting into production and being highly profitable. And I think when the investors see a number of them like that, they're going to jump in even more. Is this your the only project you're working on at the moment? Uh, yeah, correct. This is our only project. Right. I, I said, sorry, I meant, I meant you, you personally. Is this the only company that you're working for at the moment? So I'm on the board of a couple of other companies. Uh, I'm on the board of, uh, of, a, of a company with uh, high-grade gold assets in the Golden Triangle. And then I'm on the board of a copper developer with a, a series of large porphyries throughout the Americas. Okay. You might have interviewed them recently. Um, right. Okay. And how much money have you put into this? How, how, what's your uh, conviction on this? I've put in, say, uh, over, I guess it's uh, six figures into the, you know, into the investment. Uh, a lot of it was for the original startup uh, of the fund of the company when it when it started up and uh and when i'm not under restriction and the price is low i'll buy in the market the price is low is that ceos still need a deal do they think they, they despite yeah, knowing CEO, where the thing can go yeah yeah you still but you just have to be very careful that there's you know no information out there that you know uh you have that gives you an advantage other than you know so by doing talks like this uh you know we try and get everything out there so the market really understands that and uh and then there's opportunities okay and i've noticed that you obviously got a lot of institutional money in there from you know rcf and equinox and asian etc um and some of the financial institutions too i i, I guess the retail sort of only about a quarter it's unusual for a company of this size why, why is that i think it's the way we've done our fundraising and our finding uh, our fundraising has been through mainly through those institutions and they tend to be long-term holders so uh it's a challenge to to get that retail uh percentage up higher we obviously want to do so because retail investment drives volume and a lot of times 
you need the volume in order to attract other institutional holders. Uh, and, you know, it's a journey which I'm sure many of the companies you've spoken to have gone through. And usually there's, there's a, a number of catalysts that occur. And then when those occur, we're able to get the retail up and the trading volumes up as well. Well, the problem I usually see of companies of your size and in the junior space is the opposite. They're, they've got too much retail and it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, well, either no interest or it's wild, but um, and they're desperate to kind of increase the institutional component. You you're coming at it from slightly different angle because your volume is is quite low, um, and that's you you need that volatility and trading to kind of you know garner interest, as it were. So, I mean, would you expect to sort of be able to or look to try and change that for for the next round of funding, whenever that may be? The next round of funding definitely will will look to you know solicit more retail and again with with on the back of a pa which could uh appeal to the general investor more than kind of the strategy in the story we should be successful in doing so okay so and then by the way through this interview you're you're actually at site you're, you're on, at camp as it were uh, so there's a little bit of background noise uh, going on there. How are things on the ground? How are people feeling? People are feeling good. Uh, we just started our 2022 drill program. We've got two drills running at Corner Bay. Uh, and uh, it started out quite cold uh, during the beginning of the year. So it's a bit of a challenge uh, for everyone mentally and physically to get going, but it, it's gone well. Uh, some of our, one of our new team members is at site for the first time, Sylvain Lepin. So it's wonderful to be here to welcome him into the company. Uh, and um, yeah, so the mood's good. Wait, wait, so just on that, I know I saw that VP of Exploration. Why bring him on now? You've got infill drilling left to do. So what's he going to bring to the party? While we're doing the exploration drilling, we're always evaluating new opportunities in the camp, and, and we have to start strategizing what's next. What's next after the infill drilling? So actually, having someone to come in, have a fresh eyes view of the current geology or the current camp. I think it's a great advantage because it's going to increase the probability that the decision we make to where we go next is going to be a good one. Okay, fantastic. Um, look, Ernie, th thanks very much. Look, um, I look forward to the PEA coming out, just going to get a sense of what the economics look like for this and obviously that lead through to a feasibility study in, in, in 2023. Um, perhaps if you come back on, we can get you on with our more, more technical interviews, talk about the drill program with the new VP um, and, and maybe even cover off some of the, the kind of mine design, which you probably are already starting to think about. Appreciate your time yeah. today. Okay, well, it's a pleasure being on your show and uh, looking forward to, to seeing you next time.